Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. You're obsessed with her, and you're obsessed with her daughter! Right, easy, Geraldo. And welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking about sweaty A-style tank tops, we're talking vampires without fangs, and we're talking choosing the boy over the girl. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace, and we're talking title card titties and vampires literally eating pussy. Um, yes, yes, on both counts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're talking uh, 2001's The Forsaken, everybody, and, um, well, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Why have we done two of these in a single month? Like, clearly we should have known better than to go back to the early aughts horror canon, because... We're scraping bottom of the barrel between this and the skulls. Yeah, well, so watching this movie, I could not stop thinking about the skulls because all of that uh, homoerotic subtext that we were missing from the skulls is at mm-hmm. least present in this movie. Very true. My issue is that as as much as we said how boring the skulls was, I find the skulls imminently more watchable than this movie. <laughs> I, I don't understand, but yeah, this movie is so boring. It's oh my bad. god. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, though? I think we need like an outside hand to help us pick apart this movie, because it, I think we're in for a ride, y'all. Mm-hmm. Everyone, you know him as the director of such films like Angel of Death, starring Zoe Bell, and the queer slasher film Hellbent, which we covered on this very podcast last year. More recently, he's in his third year as the art director of Eli Roth's History of Horror. Please welcome Paul Etheridge. Ooh. Hey, hey. <laughs> I am so excited to be back. I wish it were a different movie. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, well, it's nice to like get to talk to you. I, mean, I, I you yeah. know, we we we've actually we've double dipped on Hellbent. We wrote about it two years ago, and we covered it like in an episode last year. So, love to get them to the man behind the madness. Thank you very much. I appreciate the shouts out from that that little movie. I mean, I will say, I think. If nothing else, the fact that that movie has survived and become this kind of like queer iconic text that people continue to reference, that they love, they rediscover. I just hope you realize how vitally important it is to the queer community that that film exists. I didn't for a long time, but I feel uh, just in the last few years, I think I may have even said this when we talked about it before, um, that... Uh, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, matured, and I realize <laughs> the the legs that it has, and you know the impact that it has had on people. I mean, I've spoken with you know uh, young queer audiences, audience members uh, that saw it when they were very young, you know, and they're like, "This allowed me to say the things that I needed to say, and you know, move on with my life." I'm like, great, all right, whatever helps you. Helps you through that. That was very much me. So I, I was 15 or 16 when it came out. So I was like on the cusp of coming out in my teenage yeah. years when I saw it. And um, my parents like still had like the, the, the mail-in disc Netflix subscription. So I oh, remember yeah. like sneaking in a bunch of like indie 
like gay films to watch mm. um and that was 100 one of them because i was like oh it's gay and it's horror like let's go 16 year old me <laughs> but also it's cinema mom and dad don't right. worry <laughs> it's this and the fourth man yes <laughs> oh, oh my god that's the second time that's come up in conversation joe because like someone else just recommends requested we cover that on this so I'm oh sure. god oh that is so sexy <laughs> and it's on the list we're very excited oh gosh yes yeah well so you're here to talk about a movie called the forsaken um <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah i mean let's let's we're not going to beat around the bush here y'all yes. like none of us like this movie right <laughs> no no and it's a, you you guys gave me some choices about what to cover and <laughs> i remembered seeing this film you know when it first came out and thinking oh you know that was kind of sexy you know, yeah, that could be fun. A little, you know, vampire, a little homoerotic vampire thing. Mm-hmm. And watching it now through, you know, yeah. the lens of where we are in our maturation as a society, it is a toxic fucking movie. Yeah. And it's yeah. not sexy. It is not sexy. And I would even argue that it's not homoerotic. But... That's what we'll get into. It, I mean, you know, we, we get accused of this all the time for reaching. And sometimes when you have, you know, a movie with two men who are on a road trip together. Right. Uh, you got to grasp at those straws. Yeah. And I, 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 I think it's, I don't think it's the performances. And I, 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 I'm going to come down a little hard on writer-director J.S. Cardone here. because I Come down hard. I, I, <laughs> I don't think he's a good writer. And I no. don't think he's, di- he's a good director. Mm-mm. No, no. His other claim to fame, like he's done a couple films. Um, the one that I like that popped out the most to me was Eight Millimeter Two, which is a direct-to-video sequel to a really shitty Nicolas Cage movie. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, he he directed that, but he did write The Covenant, Joe. Yeah, which but... is very homoerotic. I remember, very. but now right. I kind of want to go back to it and see it and see if it's also not weathered well. Um, I mean, it has not, but okay. I would argue that it's more homoerotic than this. Well, because That's, there's more nudity and there's butts and there's a lot of male butts in that movie. And there's yeah. men in Speedos in the same room together in that movie. <laughs> right. So I wonder if this was just sort of, you know, uh, the writer director kind of testing the water. Do we Maybe. know if he's queer uh, in, in he's any married. Form? He's married. Not that that means anything. Right. <laughs> Well, I think the amount that both he as well as the stars when they have been challenged, because when you research The Forsaken, it comes up on the most homoerotic horror film yeah, list. Un- unintentionally homoerotic. And yeah, so outside of that, he, I, I, which again, like Joe and I have written about The Covenant. We haven't covered it for the podcast yet. So that's that. Um, mm-hmm. But he did write the remakes of Prom Night and The Stepfather. So it's like right. in the 2000s, this man did have yeah. a career. I guess it just fell off after the 2010s or sorry, during the 2010s. But yeah, I just, I don't know. Like, I saw this movie for the first time last year. Y'all both saw it around at its original release, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I probably saw it opening night. Oh my God. Oh, wow. And were you you attracted to it because you kind of got a sense that it had a bit of a queerness to it? Or was it just like, oh, it's sexy vampire boys? Um, I don't know that I knew it was sexy vampire boys. I was at a place where I just, I saw everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And I'm sure that, I mean, Kerr Smith was in uh, Dawson's, uh, Creek. Dawson's Creek. Yeah, and, right. um, you know, I was friends with Kevin Williamson. And, you know, so I kind of knew that. And Brendan Fair, I certainly knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Jonathan Sage? 
I think it's. I say. I say Sheck. Sheck. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it is Sheck. You're absolutely right, and that's Mm -hmm. why I don't say his name. That's okay. Um, (laughs) I can never remember how to do it. I mean, I know him from you know all the indie movies that he used to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that is what attracted me, and then of course it's just a horror film. Right. Um, yeah, I feel like the, the horror audience in general, like, will always complain about like when a movie's bad, but we'll still go see it no matter we will. what. <laughs> we're we're doggedly faithful that way. Well, I think partially it's because half the time we think, oh, well, this movie got terrible reviews, or people say it's not good, but we'll either go to see it for ourselves, or we'll say, well, you know what, we can't trust mainstream critics. Like I'm thinking yeah. of the number of times people have said, oh, well, this movie is a piece of garbage, and then you know ten five years 20 years later horror fans are like uh this is a classic what the fuck were we thinking john carpenter's the thing was panned yes you know and here we it's just i mean we're recording this on the 10th anniversary of scream 4 which didn't have a very good reception when it came out 10 years ago Mm -hmm. and in the past five years it's like oh people are like oh wow this movie's actually great and i mean of course in that case that movie is great as opposed to this one which i don't think we'll be getting a resurgence anytime soon but you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Joe, did you see this in theaters too? I honestly can't remember, but I want to say yes, because this is exactly the kind of film that my sister and I would have gone to see in theaters. And we, like Paul, we definitely knew who Kerr Smith was. And mm. for me, the attraction was Brendan Fair, because I was watching him right. in Roswell, and me I thought too? he was so fucking hot. Um, so I still think he's really... I mean, I don't know what he looks like now, but... It, oh, I, he still looks really good. And he plays gay characters a lot. He does, he does. And Simon Rex was in it, and this is probably right around the time that he... Had his infamous recording. <laughs> See, Tra- Trace is always like, I don't know what you're talking about. You no. always try to bring that up whenever we talk about Simon Rex. I'm like, he did gay for pay porn, Trace. So, okay, uh, no, no, no. I, I, so my husband has brought this up to me multiple times because he loves Scary Movie 3. And so he'll every time I watch Scary Movie 3, he's like, oh my God, yeah, like let's look at Simon Rex's porn. But isn't it like a lot of solo videos? Like it's masturbation yeah. videos. It's yeah, not I, like, I yeah. wouldn't call it gay. Yeah. I mean, it was, but he did, I mean, he did it for a male audience yeah yeah that's the only reason i say that it there from what i know i think it's two solo oh my god (laughs) i'm showing my ass videos (laughs) 10 minutes and 49 seconds one (laughs) one of them is when he's fixing a bike and then he's like oh i've just got to relieve myself and he just like (laughs) jacks himself off next to it i don't i mean okay going into myself here a little bit i'm really not a fan of solo vids i really need the other person but i also need the story so again another reason why solo vids don't work for me is because because, yeah, it's usually just, oh, let's just watch this quote-unquote straight guy jack off on a couch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that doesn't work for me either. I actually do not watch porn frequently. Oh, Paul, I'm so sorry. It is the story that I love. I love the opening bits, the setup, mm-hmm. and the dialogue. Oh yes! yes absolutely. <laughs> See, no. because we all appreciate cinema, clearly. Right. So we're like, give me the story as well as the hottie. I do. I do. F- I'm not going to say frequently watch porn, but I do partake in the viewing of pornography. And I cannot tell you how much it upsets me if I'm on something like Pornhub and I start the video and it's like, oh, um, they're just immediately going at it. No, 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 no. I need like best friends are hanging out and one of them grazes the other's thigh and then something happens. I I need at least that, (laughs) like something. And that's usually where I turn it off. Yeah. Okay, so how do you feel about somebody stealing the other guy's wallet and then picking oh him my up God. like a sexy hitchhiker and then they have road <laughs> adventures? <laughs> I, when that reveal comes out in this movie, I was like, he is not nearly angry enough for, like, he's the entire reason he's in this situation. And he's like, oh, bats eyelashes. <laughs> oh, yeah. 
That's because they're making fuck eyes at each other this entire movie. I saw this movie for the first time last year. So I have like a group of, um, actually, it's my husband and I and two of our straight friends who will like, we'll pick a theme and we'll do movie nights and we'll, we all have wildly different tastes. And Mm -hmm. one of them brought this movie and I was like, and he was really excited about it. I was really, I I spent the entire, because again, if we're vocal, like we're drinking, whatever, and it, it, We'll make fun of a movie if it deserves it. And I, I literally was just sitting there like, this is so bad. Like, I'm so sorry, Trey, but like, this is a bad movie. <laughs> oh my God. But, but it was something that was formative in his youth, like growing yeah. up as a horror fan. So it's, again, who am I to knock that? Because don't we all have those kinds of movies? Absolutely. Yes. Yes. But yeah, so let's just, let's go into this. So director J.S. Cardone, so you may have been able to tell, he was influenced by films like Terrence Malick's Badlands from 1973. Oh yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That's what I thought. Because this is Badlands. And that's it. (laughs) Well, because the the other big influence was Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark from 1987. Yeah, that makes more sense. I would argue there's some Lost Boys in here. And From Dust Till Dawn, maybe a little bit too. Like it's, it's really a hodgepodge of like the least creative aspects of all these films. Yeah, there's not an original idea in here. It's really just a, you know, the poo-poo platter of mm-hmm. <laughs> of of dusty vampire movies. Uh, hello, one of these girls is a homing beacon for vampires. This film <laughs> is adding to the lore. I mean, y'all, th- this movie flat out opens with this this actress, um, Isabella Miko, who I only know her from Coyote Ugly. That's the one thing I've seen her in. Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. But it is... This this character, and I'm putting characters in quotes because no. she's nothing. She's no. a piece of furniture. She's furniture. They carry her around for the entire film. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Sometimes literally. Well, why do they care about her? I Well, that was Zero always question. the... Uh, 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 I know. This, this is sort of what felt like uh, it was such a toxic bro movie mm-hmm. to me because the woman... Well, there, there are several women in this. One of them, you know, is dispatched almost immediately. The right. other is nothing but a, you know, a, a sex pot, you know. Who gets called a bitch and a whore the entire All of them do. Every single woman is called nothing but a bitch or a whore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, the leading lady is, she stands upright twice in the film. And the rest <laughs> of the time, she's topless and unconscious. And yeah. the guys just try to figure out what to do with her. Even the scene when he undresses her to look for bites, like right. it is still really uncomfortable because oh, it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, it, oh, God. It's, it's really yeah. bad. And yeah, I, it's, she has not a single line of dialogue until mm. the last twenty minutes of the film, and even then, yeah. it's about three lines at the beginning of the siege, and then she has her. I guess I'm going to say a monologue at the end of it, where she says, "Bye." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thank you for saving me. Well, I guess I'll be going. Literally, mm. it's like that. Cool. Who are it's, you again? Yeah. I, I will say, because I, I know I've seen the cover of this, like, on the Blockbuster shelves when I was, like, perusing them as a kid, and I think I always got it confused. That, so, poster art goes through, like, phases, I feel like, with yeah. especially in the horror genre, and and rom-coms, actually. Rom-coms are also really bad about that, but... Yep. I always got this confused with a movie called Soul Survivors with Eliza Dushku. Because I think it would have come out around the same time. The only difference is the color palette of that cover is like blue Blue. and gray, whereas this one is red and orange. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but this one is like, they they were so obviously deliberately mismarketing this because it is Isabella Migo standing front and center Mm -hmm. and like the two guys are kind of like leaning towards her over the hood of the car and you're just like what movie is this from yeah Mm. she should be in the trunk asleep (laughs) 
<laughs> and, and, and you know, to, Paul, your bro movie um, accusation is correct because again, like yeah. the, this movie opens with this actress in the shower bathing blood off of her, and the title card literally appears over her naked breasts. Like yep. it is. <laughs> yep. it, it, I felt. I mean, I, I'm I'm not like nudity, nudity, nudity whatever totally fine but the way that in which this starts i was just like i feel gross watching this oh yeah absolutely i mean i i think i emailed you like right after that i'm like okay here we go (laughs) (laughs) what very much feel see to me i i definitely do get the homoeroticism between the characters i do think it's probably intentional or maybe because care smith and brennan fair had good camaraderie on the set but i do think that cardone the way he shoots this and the way he scripted it is very bro misogyny yes yeah but it's also a lot of close-ups on like their pouty lips as they're talking to each other it's a lot of them eating on dinner dates together so i mean i i i I can at least i i can see the homoeroticism in this Okay, so you guys are reaching. <laughs> Shut up. I think, and and I will, you know, throw myself into the boat. I think I already said this uh, that I remembered it. I misremembered it as being homoerotic, mm-hmm. but I think that what it was, it just had pretty guys in it. But I don't, except for the very last exchange of dialogue in the film, mm-hmm. I don't think that we have anything that we can legitimately hang on. I mean, even the vampires themselves, they don't have teeth. They use guns to dispatch each other. Yeah. Oh, I, I hate the depiction of vampires in this yeah, film. Yeah, it, it, it is so not sensual. And, yeah. you know, even he sticks the gun in the guy's mouth, but that's, that's a kind of a brutal, you know... Uh, <sighs> Kind of aggressive alpha male, although I don't believe in alpha males, but whatever. I do wonder though if it, if it's that broiness that lends people to sick. because you know in a lot of bro culture, you know, especially yeah. at this time period, it's like, oh, that's so gay. Don't don't be right. an F slur, man. Like whatever. And so I do wonder if it's just like the target audience for this film are the type that would be like, oh, that's so gay. Right. So I wonder if that's kind of how it came about. But or it's like it's good to have a best friend, no homo. Yes. You know, that's what it felt like to me because the women were so objectified and so uh, they drove the plot. Their bodies drove the plot in a way, Mm -hmm. you know, and and informed the the lead men, you know, kind of controlled with their actions. But they didn't really have any impact. You know, they weren't. uh, Yeah, they just (laughs) they weren't even standing upright until the end. So it's like. Well, so most people thought the same thing at the time, or at least critics. So first of all, this film opens April 27th, 2001, in the number eight spot at the box office, making $3 million against its $15 million budget. That I, Honestly, though, I don't really go through like what it was competing against, but this was a weird time with the movies in um, April of 2001. So the number one movie was actually Driven, the Sylvester Stallone. I think it's uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah, wow. it is. It's with $12 million, but then it was also, like, the, the other new releases were, like, Town and Country, the notorious flop with, like, like oh, Nick yeah. Beatty and uh, Goldie Hawn and all that, which did beat this movie, by the way. And One Night at McCool's, like, the Liv oh, Tyler, gosh. like, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, this explains why I saw this movie opening night. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that was your competition. Or you yeah. could go see Bridget Jones's Diary, which was in its third week of release, or Spy Kids in its fifth week of release. Or, Joe, one of our favorites, well, your favorites, Along Came a Spider in its fourth week of release. <laughs> uh. I do love me the Ashley Judd movies from this period. God, why didn't we just do an Ashley Judd movie from this period? I don't know. I don't <laughs> because know. they're not. 
quote unquote gay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean this this movie lost about fifty three percent um in its box office earnings uh in its second week, causing the film to move down to the number nine spot. It's a box office bomb. And because it plummeted to the 15th spot uh, after that. <laughs> yeah. um, we're looking at a 7% rating on Rotten Tomatoes with an average <laughs> score of 3.4 out of 10. And that being said, though, we do have a letterbox score of 5 out of 10. So this movie does have its fans. Oh, yeah. When I said that I was watching this, I definitely got somebody who replied and said, oh, I love this movie. It's a favorite. And I just thought, oh, God, please don't listen to the episode. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have anything nice to say about this. Well, and so, I mean, just some fun little blurbs. So we've got uh, startlingly amateurish. The twist about vampires comes as less of a surprise than a bewilderment. I'll refrain from spelling it out, though I'll note that the Crusades have something to do with it, and it handily doubles as an AIDS metaphor. Which I do mm. see, because we have to use the word virus a lot in this film. Yeah. So I love, hey, this is, again, critics getting up their own ass about, like, just to t- t- take down a movie. But the New York Times writes, The Forsaken is like a store-bought costume with plastic fangs collecting dust in a Walmart everything-must-go bin. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I love my own prose. <laughs> uh, it's it's the uh, insert jack off motion here yeah it's i, I do wonder because y'all were talking about just like the, how you hate the portrayal of vampires in this film the film takes itself so seriously I, I wrote in my little brief like capsule review i was like it's as if a david dakota film took itself seriously but also like it, it's not so bad it's good it's just bad yeah because i mean i will say you know we we gently mocked david dakota films both in print and on the podcast before and i don't know that this is obviously more cinematic in the way that it's got like a plot and that kind of stuff but (laughs) movie has plot but like the it's so inept that i can't say like again i think i said this when we did our episode on hellbent and killer unicorn and when we were talking about killer unicorn i was like i just think i would rather watch a david dakota film because at least it's having fun yeah it knows what it is Mm -hmm. yeah and you're absolutely right i hadn't realized how humorless this film is and it's i mean i guess there is a moment when a guy shoots his dick off. Uh, I guess that's supposed to be funny. But that's, uh-huh. that's the only thing I can think of that's supposed to be funny. I mean, I, I think that Jonathan Sheck is giving a performance in this film that feels like it's in a different film. Yes. He, he is camping it up, which I do enjoy. And it, uh-huh. I, 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 not a lot, but like comparatively yeah. to everyone else. <laughs> I'd say Simon Rex is also being... I, I think he probably thinks he's going for that Oscar with... Uh, with an accent. Right. <laughs> and really what he's doing is just preparing for Scary Movie 3. Right. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I think the only other joke I would maybe infer, because I did get a chuckle out of it, is when Brendan Fair is drinking the beer in the car and he's like, what's the worst that can happen? And then we just kind of smash cut to him throwing it onto the top the of the car. That's the one example of good editing in this movie, because I think a big issue I have with it is that this movie is edited very poorly. Like Mm -hmm. a music video? Well, okay, so the director, I mean the director, the the editor Norman Buckley, so he he edited Phantasm 3, but he also, like, I mean the biggest thing I found in his filmography is he directed like 30 episodes of, I mean, god damn it, he edited 30 episodes of The O.C. Oh. Okay. So, I don't know. So he knows hot boys in tank tops, is what we're saying. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) 
when I was watching, uh, it's so clippy and music video, like, mm-hmm. when, uh, as you said, I, I was thinking to myself, oh, so this must be the year that they worked out the kinks in the Avid. That, that the Avid, the, uh, you know, the online oh, editing. Oh, yes. No, the, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do know what that is. Um, no, because when, <laughs> when I took editing classes in college, um, it, it, everyone had moved on to Final Cut, right? By, but, 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 which but, actually maybe they uh, did it on Final Cut. I don't know. It's possible. <laughs> no, but but we did have moments where we because it, it it was Avid was like okay yeah you can use Avid but it's the antiquated software. <laughs> yes, right. um, but it, they were so unapologetically you know, doing these fast cut, you know, frame grabs and, you know, flopping the image back and forth and back and forth or turning it upside down. It's like, hey, look, we have new plugins. You know, look what we can do with it. Um, This is amazing. (laughs) We don't actually know what we're doing. We don't know whether it's good or bad, but we've got the tool, so we're going to use it. The kids will love it. (laughs) I will say that I I kind of got some of like the, 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 it's like, it's pre-Saw, but like that Saw rapid editing, I found like a Uh. lot of, a lot of that in this film. It just, for me, it works in Saw um, for the most part as where it doesn't. Saw 1 or Saw 2? Um, I, I mean, I would say both. I actually yeah. saw one and two were great. I think it's really uh, starting with that fourth one where it starts to dip in quality, but... Oh, okay. Well... Different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but about this plot, Joe, I, oh, the gosh. movie does have one. It does. And I think what I've realized is that the movies where I'm really bored, I take a lot of notes. So just <laughs> let me know if I need to speed it up at any point. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> I've got like three pages. <laughs> about this 90-minute movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I do have an entire monologue from a diner sequence, so... Wait, is it the exposition about Van what vampires are no it's oh the one about uh, consumerism and monica and bill okay <laughs> oh god oh that made me uncomfortable but yeah, go ahead it's fucked up all right so we open with as we talked about scattered nonsensical imagery as a blood-soaked naked woman who question mark do we ever learn megan's name who knows so i i, I tried to listen for it and i I don't think we get her name. And if we do, it is a one-time mention way later in the film. I mean, she's not even conscious. They don't have any ID or anything. There's no. She's not conscious. So my memory is she may have said it as she said goodbye. Gosh. <laughs> Which Thanks. Is like, I'm, I'm Megan, by the way. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving the movie. <laughs> the absolute right way to do it in terms of character development like a really rich character <laughs> have your characters introduce themselves at the end of the movie don't you think though that she would the newspaper with her with her picture on the front page would have been like by the way this girl's name is megan <laughs> why just because her family got massacred you think that might get reported on no right. not in this movie well, maybe there, maybe we are supposed to see it in the in the newspaper article or oh, something. Jesus, but, I mean, they, it, well, it's sorry, not, I'm not. I wasn't going to work for this movie. <laughs> I, it's not in the headline. If it's in yes. the article itself, it's entirely possible. Yeah, if I have to scan the byline, no, it's too much work. <laughs> so yeah, so we 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 get tits right up front, title, and then we're into the new metal as we've got credits. We're introduced to Sean, who is played by Care Smith, and he is picking up a convertible from what looks like a very questionable kind of chop shop place. I will put one bit of praise on this. I actually do think that Care Smith is doing the best with the material he's given. He's trying. Uh, <laughs> 
I mean, I, I'm trying to latch on to some positivity here, but like, I, I, I yeah. at least find I like Kara Smith in this movie, and yeah, I, he actually looks younger here than he did in Final Destination, which came out what a year before this. Uh, yes, huh. a year before. I'm too used, I think, to seeing him in asshole roles because when I see him as a good guy, he's so boring. Yeah, I mean, well, they also don't give him a ton to do. No one has anything to do. Well, yeah, it's. I mean, I remember the first time I watched this, I was like, why, why, why are, <laughs> just why, why do you care? <laughs> but yeah. I, you know, I, I get it. The, the, the script goes out of its way to be like, well, this is why he has to take this hitchhiker, even though he was told expressly by his boss, like, don't right. pick up hitchhikers. Mm-hmm. And I get it. You know, we have the wallet thing. Oh, he'll pay for gas. Blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, oh my god. Well, I think the problem is, is that as we get into the film, we start to realize that this backstory where, you know, he's driving this car to Miami to cover expenses for his sister's wedding, and he works as a film editor, and his dad worked on E.T., like, none of this shit matters. Not at all. I appreciate that you're trying to give your character a bit of a backstory, a bit of motivation, but the movie also doesn't care. So why the fuck should we? Well, the thing with the, it should build suspense, right? Like for this element of, oh, he's trying to make it to his sister's wedding. He's trying, the money is to pay for her gift, which Mm -hmm. we don't even know what that is. So what does it matter? We don't meet the sister. We don't see him go to the wedding. (laughs) He yeah. spends and he spends the money, so she got a shitty gift. So yeah. it's like you know, <laughs> and he doesn't even go to the wedding because doesn't he just go to pick up Nick at the end of the film? No, that's that's three months later. Yeah, right. I mean, presumably he misses the wedding because he's in the fucking hospital. That's right. That's right. Because <laughs> he's got like a broken leg at the end of this movie. Yeah, <sighs> okay. and she didn't even like go into the room. She just stared at his leg as though he were a leper, and was like, "Okay, well, thank you. I'm I'm pretty now." Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah there's just a lot of time spent on like it just felt like filler i mean even all of that in the editing suite it's like we lost a location last minute and we have to come up with a new backstory and a way to open up this movie yeah yeah because when we transition from this kind of car chop shop location Mm -hmm. and then go into what is eventually revealed to be a film editing studio where he has a demanding asshole boss and you know we see that they're basically trauma yeah but it's like okay do we like do we need sean's co-workers making a bet over whether or not he's going to get this week off like right again who cares you know maybe it was they cut the film together and realized that they they felt something was lacking at the beginning to set Mm. sean's up and it's like well we're in post we have these facilities right yeah, here. Right. <laughs> but 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 you know, like it could have easily gone from the scene at the car shop to him on the road. Absolutely. Like, oh, that's 100%. all we need. Yeah. And the car shop scene was a lot better than anything in the editing suite. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, you you didn't I mean, like class of Newcomb High or Death House posters? <laughs> I, I think if maybe his two friends had like maybe returned to the film later as essentially body bags just get killed off, maybe mm-hmm. that would make more sense. But yeah, it, 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 as it stands, it's just like, why is this scene in this movie? Right. Yep. Film students, pay attention to this. You, do, yep. you can cut what you don't need. <laughs> so yes, uh, Sean does eventually make it onto the road where he is immediately flashed by girls in convertible in a convertible. So uh, yeah. folks keeping track at home, that's two sets of tits in about, right. what, 10 minutes? Yes. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to give it shit because I was like, oh, do, people, do women just do that? Do they just like flash people? But clearly it does happen because it also happens in Final Destination 2. But <laughs> yes. 
Well, I mean, I've I've certainly seen a lot of male butts in my life. Just oh my God, flash, really? so. Oh yes, <laughs> I'm sure I've been one to flash as well. So oh, okay. okay, it does happen. It happens on on the road. All right. So yes. So Sean gets flashed, and then he immediately gets a flat. And he stops at a gas station. This is when he realizes that his wallet is missing. So he ends up crashing at a dodgy hotel. When did he... So when did Nick take this wallet? Did he see him earlier? I think we have to assume that it's when he stops at the station and he's getting... Like, he's talking to this mechanic. Mm, Got it. Yeah. But again... This is the kind of thing where you might want to show somebody lifting something out of the back seat of this convertible. Well, but I think it's supposed to be a twist leader that Nick to- stole his wallet. <laughs> yeah, that they're sort of getting together is is orchestrated somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, it's certainly not a detail that you need to go back and review to figure out. No. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> the twist does not merit a second watch. No. <laughs> So he does stay at this interestingly lit motel, and Mm -hmm. we do spend some time as he's watching TV, he's hearing weird sounds, he notices an odd car outside, and we get more of this music video editing when he puts his ear up to the wall. No, Mm -hmm. and based on the language of the film with this editing, he's having, like, memories or cuts to the girl. Yeah. And that doesn't make any sense. No, No, it doesn't. It is as though... Once again, it's like we're reviewing the first or second cut, and it's like we need something in here to get people engaged again. Yep. You know, because it's moving too slowly, and we're not seeing anything of interest, so we need to, you know, put some pizzazz in there to remind people it's a horror film. Right. (laughs) Whereas I was actually just satisfied with the swarms of flies that he sees in the window when he leaves the next morning. I'm like, okay, so we can infer there's a body or something that's going on in this. Yes. Shout out to the fly man or woman. You did a good job with that. I liked that. The Wrangler. Yeah, the Wrangler and, you know, however they probably built a little little plexi box for the flies. But that was good. Mm Mm-hmm. So he does discover that his car is ready for pickup, and this is when he gets hit on, oh, sorry, when he gets questioned by Nick, (laughs) who is played by Brendan Fair. I want to see the movie that you have in your mind. (laughs) Uh, It it may not be suitable for anything but Pornhub. So I, I actually, yeah, I still think that Brendan Fair is very attractive in this movie. Um, I did watch him on Roswell um, as a young child, and um, I always thought he was the cutest one. And so his hair is not good in this movie, but... No, it's not. It's a weird copper color. It, it is a weird color. It is a weird, exceedingly Shape. curly length. <laughs> and yeah. also he has arguably some of the worst facial hair i have seen in a movie in a very long time right it's so patchy and it looks like he's grown a beard under his chin but not on his cheeks yes that is all true it's Mm. um it's not a good look even on someone as attractive as brendan fair which tells me no one should have it (laughs) um so wait so joe you watch did you i know you watch roswell paul did you watch roswell i did not um, I just I only bring it up because so there's Brendan Fair, but then the lead in that show was Jason Bear. Yep. <laughs> yeah, and I would always get them confused. Yeah, because <laughs> he was also attractive. I liked him yep. on his guest appearance on Buffy. And he's a dark-haired, tall guy, right? Kind of yes. lanky. Is that yes. right? Okay, yeah. that's who I thought Brendan Fair was, and I was thinking, yeah, he did something terrible to his hair to make him look like that. But no, I just had a different actor in mind because of the Roswell thing. Yeah. (laughs) All right. But still, Brendan Fair did not look good in this role. (laughs) 
sadly <laughs> not as attractive as he normally is. Yeah. Yes. I mean, he still fills out a tank top nicely. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I watched him. <laughs> <laughs> so they decide to go on the road together, and Nick is going to pay for gas, and that's fine. So we get this exposition about Sean's family, his film career motivations, blah, 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 the drinking and driving incident with the cop. Uh, also, uh, w- w- what about Nick and his movies are at the bottom of the entertainment food chain for him? <laughs> Nick has a lot of bad ideas in this movie. Yeah, he does. Who is he, who is he serving as a, a mouthpiece for? Well, Andre? I think it's the director, right? Well, like, yeah. I, I, so Car- this script has such a, a weight of self-importance to it. And look yeah. at how cool we are. And we'll get to it later when we get to the vampire explanation. <laughs> but it's like this movie thinks it's very, very cool. And that, to me, aids in my hatred for it. <laughs> it feels like it's so desperately trying to be cool. Like, I think that's also mm-hmm. why we don't get a traditional depiction of vampires because that old vampire shit is donezo. And this is like a new generation of vampires. They don't have fangs, you know, they still go up in the sunlight, but, you know, we've got to keep some of the tropes there. There's that line he has where it's like, oh, that Vlad the Impaler stuff is bullshit. You know that, right? Because it's like, oh, right. you think you know vampires? No, let me tell you about the real vampires. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And why is it that vampire movies? movies are the only fucking subgenre of horror that feels the need to constantly be like no we're not playing by those rules anymore our vampires are different i would argue that werewolves werewolves are also a little bad yeah but but, but vampire is the most because we see more vampire films than we see werewolf films i'm just gonna say it vampires are bitches in there in that in the, the, the defense of redefining the vampire that there's so many cultures that have different vampires and different mm-hmm. vampire rules so what we think of as dracula was concocted by Bram Stoker. Oh yes. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I can I can give it that. But they were it was it was pretty indefensible what they did with the vampires here. Mm-hmm. So, I don't yeah. defend that. No. <laughs> Please don't try to defend. No. <laughs> All right, so that night, it just goes from day to night, and we see them emerging from a pee at a rest stop, which <laughs> from a pee. <laughs> I, Bro. I, I know, yeah. We can we can read this film in either of the two ways, right? It's very bro, hey, we're just taking a piss at this rest stop. Or it's like, here we are at this queer cruising ground where there's a group of strangers waiting for us when we come out. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, uh, this is where we are introduced to the vampires or the forsaken, as this film would like us to refer oh, to them as. So we have ringleader Kit, who is played by Jonathan Sheck. We have Kit's main squeeze, Sim, who is played by Fina Orich. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that she is actually my favorite character, even though, again, I don't think she's given anything to do, but I do kind of love what she's doing. Yeah, I like her. I definitely do. I wish that she were with us longer. Yes. Yeah, um, I, I honestly, I, I could, had I not been looking at the IMDb page for this, I would not be able to tell you the names of these vampires. Oh, God, mm-hmm. no. No, no, it, no. Well, because it's also, they're all three-letter names. So it's yeah. like, we have Kit, we have Sim, and we have Pen. Yes. <laughs> Wait, okay, I have to I have to clarify this, because is Sim the black woman? Yes. Or is... Yeah, oh. Teddy is the other one, played by Alexis Thor. Okay, so yes, Sim is laying it on thick. I actually had some problems with that but i think that she did a good job with it because well, it's probably more of a screenwriting issue right yes, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a this is who you are you know you are this 
you know, carnivorous woman who, you know, devours men. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then, you know, that's how she played it up. I think she did, you know, she did what she could with it and she did well with it. That depiction, mm, I didn't care for. Yeah. And who's the woman who, like... So you're thinking of Teddy, I think. Oh, okay, Teddy. All right. Yeah, okay. and she, she's a soap opera star. She's been on okay. The Young and the Restless in Days of Our Lives. Okay, yeah, Teddy's not with us at all, so... No, Teddy Teddy is here so that we can figure out how to kill vampires. Yes, that's right. Okay. Yeah, which is sunlight, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Basically, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they, they do some light questioning so that we can establish that they are bad news and that they are not to be trusted. We also see that Nick is hiding something as Sean is being questioned. And his man bag. Yeah, he, it's definitely a man bag question about logic here so we do get i want to say it's teddy that asked jonathan check like why you know he's a hunter why don't we just kill him that's sim okay yes so sim says this so and then kit jonathan check just goes oh no there's a time and a place for that um (laughs) when you're all dead yeah when is that time and place (laughs) like why don't you just kill him (laughs) Kit seems to also have some very questionable motivations throughout this film because there's one point where Sim and he are the last two standing and she says, why the fuck don't we just find a new day driver and get on with our lives? And he again is like, no, we got to go after them. It's really important. You're like, but is it like (laughs) priorities for these vampires? I don't understand. Priority. I'm I'm wondering. I don't have the answer for this, but he did try to make, you know, Kerr Smith his day driver mm-hmm. mm. so maybe i mean i i don't remember his delivery on that line at that point you know maybe that was just something he thought up and spur of the moment maybe that, that i don't know i didn't understand that whole kind of plot element there that yeah. all of a sudden everyone's bleeding out and it's like you're gonna be my day driver yeah. <laughs> it's like I'm not sure why I think you're going to survive all of these mortal wounds, but yes, you'll be driving my car later. I can't walk. (laughs) My leg's broken. So I did want to address that this is also where the misogyny for me really kicks into high gear, particularly around Sim's character, which makes me exceedingly uncomfortable when she is the sole person of color in this film. So she at one point leans over and she asks if they've got any money. And she is then told, don't be a bitch. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I'm just like, okay, that's a bit of a weird statement. And she will continue to be referred to as either a whore or a bitch throughout the rest of this film. All of them. Yeah. Yes. Like, because that's all Nick, Nick keeps calling her a bitch constantly, but then also Kit does too. And it's like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like Sim would be able to take care of herself on her own. So the fact that she's like exuding this strong female vampire, but she's constantly like, basically like, Kit's servant. Yeah, it's kind of gross. I do think that the film has a weird issue with like eroticizing the other mm-hmm. in this capacity. So on one hand, I kind of like that it's like, oh, it's a it's a, a mixed race uh, vampire love story, but also yeah. the way that she's presented is very much like, oh, she's just like his bitch. It's not progressive. Yeah, it's no. not progressive. She's a concubine essentially. There you yeah. go. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so that is our introduction. That's our meet cute between the vampires and our heroes. And what, did, what the hell does she need with money? What I, do they I, need with money? <laughs> it, I, I mean, I felt like that was almost, you know, sort of a, a, a racial thing. 
you know, oh. that we were supposed to be the black woman asking for money. Yeah, yeah, we're, you know, as an audience, we're like, oh, no, you know, well, the, the whole group of them is very much presented as oh, these are weird outsiders. Like right. if they showed up at your beer party in the desert, you should be wary of them because they look questionable. <laughs> OK, but also so all of them look like, again, quote unquote, normal human beings, except for Jonathan Sheck, whose right. makeup is screaming vampire. Also, yes. are we sure that they didn't just style his hair like he's a gremlin with, like, a gray streak? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I felt like he probably had, in order to accept the role, he had a writer that said, I will be making my creative choices right. for my character. And he's like, you know, fuck this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I going am, to be a vampire. <laughs> I am the veteran of the cast. I have I the most credits on IMDb. <laughs> I shall be making creative decisions. Yes. Right. It's like, I have to have fun with this role. Otherwise, it's going to be a really brutal six weeks. Oh, gosh. (laughs) So after this, this is where we get the first of many diner sequences between Nick Mm. and Sean. And we're back to talking about money because Sean doesn't understand how Nick operates because Nick seems to have a slightly different worldview. And this is where Nick actually does admit that when he needs money, he cruises. He also refers to a penis as a little red rooster. Yes. Okay. So, yes. <laughs> if gentlemen, if you will allow me, I have a dramatic reading of do this it. exchange because <laughs> Sean goes, okay, so where do you see yourself in 10 years? You've got this really dark outlook. And this is what Nick replies with. <clears throat> we are fucked. Take a look at the world we inherited. We're a bunch of fast food munching MTV freaks humping the American dream. And then he continues. <laughs> the generation before us sold their innocence for 200 satellite stations, and it's been downhill ever since. They had Mickey Mouse, Easy Rider, and The Beatles. All right? We got South Park, The Blair Bitch, and Ricky Martin. Ugh. They had Be Here Now. We got Shit Happens. And if that doesn't put things into perspective, I don't know what does. We're just Microsoft Neanderthals addicted to surfing netland, still shitting in our own nest. And every time I think about giving a rat's ass, I just picture Monica making millions from sucking Bill's little red rooster. And that just rockets me right back into reality. Oh, God. What is this? Oh my what god! Like, <laughs> is that? I think I blocked this out of my mind because, like, I, I'm vaguely like. I mean, I, I wrote down Little Red Rooster in my notes, but I think I just. <laughs> yeah. I think I immediately like jettisoned the rest of that monologue out of my brain. Because if you read this, like, say you saw this on Twitter or somebody posted that on <laughs> Facebook, you would be immediately flagging it for like alt right weird conspiracy theory. <laughs> uh, that'd be an interesting thing to try. listeners if you want to risk deactivating your account feel free to post some of that and find out yes (laughs) report back right Mm. (laughs) um okay so that gives you some insight into how nick views the world which is fine honestly i don't get that from him no i mean i don't he doesn't he's a softy he is he's compassionate and you know what he's doing uh, granted we learn later, you know, part of it is in his own self-interest, but mm-hmm. I mean that still along the way, he is helping a number of people. I mean, he's committed to saving this woman who they saw like hanging out in an alley, Yeah, you know? So I don't believe any of that, that monologue. It feels to me as though somebody watched Blade and saw Whistler 
as like mm. a grizzled old vampire hunter and said, okay, how do we transpose this into this film? But right. then they cast it with actors from the WB and right. they didn't think that it would cause any kind of disconnect. Cause like this to me, that diatribe reads like an older person who has gone through some shit and is disillusioned with the world. But then yeah. it's coming from Brendan Fair, who is 22 years old or something <laughs> on this movie. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah. Mm. Well, meanwhile, uh, Tit Girl is in the diner, because that is exactly what I referred to her as my note, since I did not know her name. Rude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so she attracts, I guess, Sean's attention, and he ends up following her outside. She tries to get on a bus. It doesn't work. She ends up stiffing the diner waitress, so they end up having to take care of her. Okay, wait, wait, wait. So people dine and dash, right? I get that. I totally get that. And I get that if I've been a server, like, that is really shitty. I... She's really, she stiffed her on a coffee. (laughs) It wasn't like a meal. It was a coffee that probably in the year 2001 cost about $3. So (laughs) that's just one of those where I'm just like, I just like this waitress is really upset. And like, because in the places that I've waited tables, we're not allowed to go chase down like people. (laughs) It's not safe. (laughs) So I I just thought that was funny how she was so upset about this fucking coffee. It also just tells me the the depth of your investment in this movie that you're thinking, oh, this doesn't seem realistic that this no-name <laughs> diner waitress is doing this. Like, could not give two shits about what's actually happening with the main actors. <laughs> so it turns out that Megan, if that is in fact her name, she is going through some kind of withdrawal. So they end up picking her up. They pay $45 for a room at the Palms Inn where the owner has a pet monkey. So you know, he, he, I'm, maybe I'm reading into this, but th- this is your queer, explicit queer factor because he is given not only a lisp, but a very like effeminate voice affectation. And when he's he's like, oh, he says something about like, don't do this. I'll boot your ass out, guys. Like, it's so, I was like, oh my God. What is this? Yeah, I was trying to figure out if, you know, again, it's like you're going back 20 years for this movie, but $45 to me is like, is this a a pay by the hour motel? Because that seems awfully dirt cheap. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they are in the middle of the desert. So maybe it's just like a a rest stop for truck drivers or something like that. So Yeah, because they're like, I think they're in, well, they're either they're either in Nevada or Texas because they get to Texas for like the last half of this movie. Oh, no, they're definitely in, I mean, they're going from L.A. to Texas. Having made the drive, you do not go through Nevada, I can tell you. <laughs> oh. oh, sorry, sorry. They filmed this in Nevada. That's oh, what oh, I was oh, oh, got you, got you. Yes, sorry, yeah, okay. so that's what I was thinking. But, so, but it's supposed to be, yes, like in that like western side of Texas where it's right. just desert constantly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is when Nick goes into bossy boyfriend mode and he demands that Sean fill the bathtub. He wants ice. There's this very uncomfortable scene where we get to watch Nick strip Megan. I guess the only good thing is that Nick himself doesn't seem at all interested in her. So it's very clearly a fact-finding mission to find the bite above her vagina. We have Sean walk in and at least be like, dude, what the fuck are you doing? Like, because yes, that's an appropriate reaction to this, to walking in on this. But it's still like, like, does the bite have to be like round or pussy well that that's the thing and also it i mean i think it's meant to be a condemnation of kit as a character that ooh, he would bite her there of all places but for me i'm like i'm watching this and the way it's filmed made me uncomfortable yeah so this yeah. is on cardone mm. yeah this felt like more titillation for us yes absolutely and i would have bitten her there as well <laughs> really <laughs> yes 
<laughs> As a vampire, I might wear a vampire. Well, it's it's obvious that they're trying to hide the bite. Remember that Nick looks between her fingers and toes first. I mean, everywhere you would like, you know, have a heroin needle. I guess, right? You know, so I guess if I'm, you know, trying to be discreet about my nibbles, right. you know, that's probably a good place to do it. And if you're already getting down there, the woman's probably pretty relaxed and not really paying attention to the blood that you're sucking. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing. I mean, I'm rationalizing this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that part at all, that that's where the bite is. And thank God it was at least a sexual bite. The only reason the bite, okay, so, so from a filmmaking standpoint, the only reason the bite is there is not narratively based. I mean, again, like right. you said, Joe, it's kind of going for, yeah, it's a combination on Kit. But the only reason the bite's there is so that we can get this actress naked in this scene. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Both of those things are true. Yeah. <laughs> so also then, I'm thinking what you said, Paul, makes perfect sense to me. Does that mean we're supposed to read the way that the Forsaken are kind of costumed and filmed, are they meant to be representative of junkies? I mean, I think that is one reading of it. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I think that's that's on point. And again, when we get to the actual virus itself, because again, the whole thing with the virus, oh, we have a drug cocktail that can postpone the effects of it, but it yeah. won't cure it. Right. And that's, that's where we it's get like to our AIDS metaphor. Yeah. Or that, or that, yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll get to that because I think... Mean, we have to have a whole conversation about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's cut to the desert where we've got a bunch of idiots who are partying and shooting guns. Yay! <laughs> you won't see them again. No, <laughs> exactly. we will not. But, but Paul, I think you have a connection to one of these actors. I do, I do. Brian Kirkwood, who has played the love interest in my film Hellbent, uh, makes an appearance as the gun-happy random desert dweller (laughs) (laughs) it's the guy that shoots his dick off we'll just say that that, that, that's probably his character name in the credits actually (laughs) but frustratingly enough i mean you know what happens but you don't even get the confirmation that that happens like i if you're gonna shoot a guy's dick off i need to see like bloodstained pants well this whole scene again editing is weird like we we get the the what's essentially the climax of the scene when he when kit punches through the guy's chest yeah but it's edited so bad that it happens off screen. And so it's just like, uh, it's, it, it's not, it doesn't go hard enough in this violence that it seems to like it. I think it thinks it does. Was this rated R? I guess it has to have been. Yeah. yeah. Well, then what the fuck? Yeah. People? Why not? It feels very R for the year 2001. Like, oh, we want to push it, but we're not going to push it too far because we don't want to make anybody mad. Right. Well, that's, uh, yeah, when he shoots his dick off, like, there should be, like, at least maybe a blood spray within his pants, and that does right. not happen. We just, like, get the, the smoke coming out. Mm-hmm. Right. We get the sound effect and, like, a flash right on the cut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's because at the end of the day, we're not supposed to care about any of these assholes because we're too busy noticing the connection between what's happening because Megan is getting a nosebleed and she's screaming back in the bathtub. (laughs) Oh, my God. I mean, kudos to this actress because, again, like she for at this point, her the entirety of her screen time has been she's been naked Mm -hmm. and screaming. Yep. Yep. Yep fantastic character development <laughs> like how do you pitch that you know when you're reading it's like oh, i'm excited about my, my part <laughs> like, hi mom guess what flipping, flipping well, through the pages okay i'm in this scene i'm actually in this scene but <laughs> megan is unconscious 
It's a little <laughs> uncomfortable too, right? Because I mean, again, you hopefully she went into this film knowing that she was going to have to be nude or or partially oh, nude in different to, parts. Yeah. But from my perspective, when I was doing research on her, because yeah, I only knew her from Coyote Ugly as well, and I saw, oh, she's Polish, and this is like basically her Hollywood debut. She had to learn how to speak English for this role. Uh-huh sad for her but but part of me was like oh cool so hollywood is taking like actresses from other countries giving them this education on like becoming a hollywood starlet but it basically just means not getting any dialogue taking off your clothes and Mm -hmm. like that sucks for her interesting well that does explain why they might not have given her much dialogue okay but but so then are we to believe i mean again we're all like guessing here we're speculating yeah like, yeah yeah would the script have had more lines because i don't think so i don't think no so. no that's probably was a good fit it's like hey mm-hmm. you know i need my sag card i just moved here right yeah you know but in polish yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's like i am not at all uncomfortable with nudity yeah you know perfect <sighs> we have a role for essentially mm-hmm. a cadaver yeah you know so i think it's just it's movies like this that i find it difficult to defend the horror genre to i guess normies or people who are like oh it's just a bunch of women taking their tops off and then getting covered in blood and you're like uh, yeah sometimes for this yes like, <laughs> sometimes it is <laughs> all this to say so she's having a bit of a conniption fit in the tub so sean and nick have to hold her down this is when Sean gets bitten as Nick administers this sedative, and uh, so he has a reaction, and he and Megan basically just sleep it off through the rest of the night. Well, Nick is busy observing the vamps moving into a hotel, basically the room across the the parking lot, (laughs) after they murder this hotel owner. Oh, I totally missed that. I'm not going to lie. I did too. (laughs) It's like a blink and you miss it. He's looking out the window. You see the guy trying to be like, hey, you're causing a ruckus. And they just snap his neck and then they carry some chicken. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. But what about the monkey? Hopefully the monkey found a new home. (laughs) The monkey's been infected with the virus. Oh my God, stop it. Yes. (laughs) See, what if this had become a vampire monkey movie? That would have been fun. Outbreak only vampire. Yeah. Uh, so the next morning this is when nick and sean go basically this is nick educating sean about the reality of vampires so they go out to where pen that is the simon rex character he's sleeping on the car nick smacks him in the face with a shovel and then he gets nick to open up the trunk this is where teddy goes up in flames and she ends up exploding so this is your hey vampires are real really dumb of her though because she basically they open it and i think sean goes there's just an old tarp in here and it's mm-hmm. like cool she's not caught let him shut the trunk yeah <laughs> i don't think nick would have let him get away with that because he probably knew she was in there but yeah, yeah. it's like you could have played it better teddy i just I, i'm really confused about why a vampire would instinctively like dive out of a trunk into the sunlight knowing right. full well they're going to die yeah yeah, and, and why stay in the trunk anyway, where, you know, you're in a hotel room that you can have any room you want. Well, right. And again, I think this is meant to be a bit of a clarifier on the relationship between <laughs> Kit and the rest of his acolytes, where he wouldn't let Teddy stay in the room because he and Sim are too busy fucking and biting this girl. But you're right, Paul, like, you've killed the motel owner, just stay in another room. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, no, because that's why that's why Sim was asking for money earlier. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Vampires who need to ask for change. No. Thank you, movie. So Penn rescues Kit and Sim. They hop into the trunk of this car, and then we hear but don't see Penn kill this girl. And then the home motel goes up in flames. One thing that I do like about this is I like Penn speaking with Kit tele like like tele I'm sorry he's speaking, and we're not hearing Kit's telepathic like thoughts towards him. I mm-hmm. actually think that's a that that is a novel thing that I actually like this movie does. Huh. Okay. And again, uh, I'm I'm, gra- I'm grasping at straws. I'm okay. grasping at straws, y'all. <laughs> I don't mind it. I I could have done with a little less of it. Like it's fine here, but then we have to get a whole scene where Penn is just talking to Kit. Talking to himself. Yeah, yeah, like it just kind of makes Simon Rex look like a bit of an imbecile, which I don't think he needed that much help with. Yeah, it's a lot to put on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, course, poor Simon. I mean, he's he's got a good figure, but can he take the weight? The answer is no. <laughs> No, (laughs) but the telepathic vampire squeaks were strange, I thought. Did you guys hear those Those little voices on the the tracks? No. No. Is it so when Kid is speaking back to him, we're hearing like, yeah. Oh, essentially something like that. I I heard nothing on my end. So maybe maybe my ears are broken. (laughs) I definitely didn't pick it up on my uh, on my subtitles. (laughs) <laughs> okay yes no i mean it's not english or any you know it's not recognizable yeah. as a language it's just like i think it's like squeaky bat noises oh yeah oh, oh well I, I guess that would have made sense but there's no vampires turning into a bat in this movie yeah no, no. we don't have a budget for that hmm. no so hmm. it made it kind of comedic when i watched it right yeah it would be unintentionally so yes yeah. oh absolutely yeah as we said there are no intentional jokes in this movie <laughs> no <laughs> All Which, right. uh, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Really quick though, but that's actually kind of surprising, being that we're in a post-scream world where so many of the films coming out with this type of cast too. Yeah, were yeah. being self-referential, were being witty, and this one is just like, nope. I'm not a loser like that. I mean, we were still getting films that were desperately trying to prove, like, we're not following the screen model. Like, I'm thinking Valentine has some jokes, but they're also, it it really is trying to be a straightforward yeah. 80s throwback. So I can't help but wonder if maybe this film said, sure, we're going to follow some of the model, but we're not going to do it all the way. I guess it's 01, so it's like, it's, you know, it's after Scream 3 comes out, so. Yeah. Yes. I would have been fine with the... The serious tone, if it had been done well. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really the biggest sin, is it's just not a good movie. So whatever they did, it just doesn't work. You know? Yeah, like, whatever decisions they made, whatever tone they were going for, they're not hitting it. So it doesn't matter that, <laughs> yeah. like, oh, maybe comedy would have been a better way to go. We all know. But yeah. whatever they opted for is not it, working. For it them. could have used some Fright Night charm. That, oh that's what God. it could have used. Absolutely. Oh, and that's sexy. I mean, it, yeah, could have, it could have used some of that for considering all of the skin that we see. Yes. It, it is shocking that this yeah. film is not sexier. Mm-mm. Well, because what? We don't even get a sex scene in this movie, although we do get the like the bloody makeout session in the car between Kit and Sim. Like I, I think we're supposed yes. to read that as sex, but he is so aggressively biting her neck that it's kind of vulgar. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and blood is just jetting. I mean, it feels violent. It yeah. Feels, it's like an assault. Yeah. It's not like sexy bloodletting like we might see in something like The Hunger, right? Yeah. Right. 
Uh, this might be okay. So I'm. This isn't exactly the way it happens. Technically, we're cross-cutting between Nick explaining what's happening and then also Penn talking to Kit. But I'm just going to get it out of the way in one fair bit. So we'll address the Penn stuff. Basically, he's talking to Kit. And they're having like this long, drawn-out conversation, and then this is when the police officer returns. And we do get this great scene where the police officer opens the trunk and they mm. just blast him with a shotgun and he goes way back onto the hood of his own mm-hmm. car and then they light him on fire and the cruiser. Which, so I don't want to say I liked this because it also feels like more mean-spirited than what the movie is, I guess. I don't know. It, I just feel like 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 burning this guy alive is just a lot for this movie, but maybe I'm wrong. It, yeah. It's a different experience because, I mean, you could say we've seen somebody get their heart punched out, but there was something amusing about that, right? Like, it felt a bit wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Here, this feels like oh, are we, is Rob Zombie stepping in for like a day right. of reshoots or something? Yeah. I mean, yeah. The difference too is that the heart being ripped out is sudden. And of course the visual is so absurd. Right, right. Um, this is, I mean, being burned alive is torturous. Mm-hmm. And it's also, everything here is real. Yes. In a way, it's it's not, you know, a vampire murder. Mm-hmm. Um, there's nothing fanciful about it. It's, you know, this could happen. Right. Yeah. So it, yeah, for me, it just made it uglier. Although I did watch this scene over and over again. Um, this is the only scene I did that for. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, just to, yeah, just because I kept noticing, okay, so the blood's already preset on the window of the car that he flies back to but then there are a couple of frames that they insert where they splash blood on a piece of glass <laughs> i'm like in my mind i'm imagining them going back through reshoots you know to like oh. plug stuff in that's okay, I, okay so i because yeah, obviously joe and i are not filmmakers and it's always nice when we have a filmmaker on here that like has the eye for things like that because I, I never would have caught that no I, I mean i can't say that that's what they did but considering the way they cut it mm-hmm. it didn't feel like it was a vision it felt like it was a band-aid yeah okay hmm interesting like okay so we have this stunt we're presetting the blood so it's splashed up on the windshield so you know he's been shot but you know because the shot is so long and you're seeing him fly through the air the audience is now getting to see that the blood's already there so fuck we got to cover that right how do we do that well we you know insert this one little shot you know that literally it's a probably six frames so anyway but it's not enough to like if you look for it, you will not be fooled. Yeah, it just, yeah, exactly. It felt, it felt like a band-aid, like I said. It, it didn't feel, you know, mm, visionary, I'm storyteller. Right. You know, it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> uh, As a lot uh, of this movie did. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so now we're going back into the Nick and Sean show. Yes, and this is where we start to get a little bit more details about uh, Nick and the fact that he was bitten by some bitch at a party, and then he explains that he has discovered that there is, here's the kicker, gentlemen, there is a drug cocktail that he takes to slow the infection that originated Mm -hmm. from HIV medication in the 80s. It, mm. It is just no... Do not do this. A lot of liberal usage of uh, the R slur uh, is thrown around in this movie, which again is just very of the time. Um, What's the R slur? Oh, okay. Because he calls uh, he calls uh, Simon Rex that a lot. But yeah, this it's a bit, it's on the nose, isn't it? I I don't think it's on the nose. I don't think that 
it, there's a weight to this that immediately no. took me out of the film because it's based very suddenly in real world life events. And as much as I wanted to enjoy this movie as a bit of a homoerotic romp, all of a sudden I'm thinking about, really, we're going to tie the genesis of a potentially like vampire life-saving concoction to something that killed thousands if not hundreds of thousands tens of thousands of people from the queer community like it was really tone deaf to but me. you know yeah you know that they were not caring about that no, no. <laughs> yeah but i also then can't give this movie a pass like this movie immediately tanked in my got it in okay. my esteem because i was just like fuck you for this do not do well this. for me when i when they got to this point i felt like okay so they're going to try to make these vampires real. They are reaching for mm -hmm. something that everybody in the audience will have heard of, will be at least somewhat familiar with. Right. You know, okay, so, you know, we're working on a cocktail for HIV. So that is what we're going to be building off of to make these vampires seem real and scary. Mm -hmm. I mean, that may have been part of the pitch. It's like, what if vampires are real? Oh, you know yeah but so okay so i i very rarely give out anything if i'm scoring a film i very rarely give anything less than a two like if i don't like a movie i'm like okay it's a two but like a movie has to pretty much offend me to to merit like a one or a one and a half usually yeah. um <laughs> because i'm always like i can find something i can find something to be like okay yeah like yeah, whatever it's not good but here here's this so let's slap it a two and but i've had people ask me well what do you think is offensive something like this <laughs> i think is a little offensive <laughs> i think so yeah yeah, I, I just think it's so unnecessary. Like you could easily say, yeah, you know what? We discovered this cocktail of drugs. And as a result, we can stem the development of this vampire virus. But there's a deliberate use of the word infection and virus. And then to kick it back to this HIV medication, you're just like, oh, you fucking assholes. <laughs> so are you okay? I just on its face, I'm willing to give this a pass mm -hmm. just because I'm seeing how they may have been trying to tie it into real world. And they are tone deaf because they're not <laughs> right. thinking of it, you know, from 2021 and they're not right. thinking of it from a queer perspective. Mm -hmm. So are you saying that your reaction comes from them equating being queer and infected with HIV to being a murderous vampire something that is monstrous or is it just that there isn't any kind of nuance well no not nuance but just they're they're not honoring the you know the the people who actually died from this disease they're creating something fictional out of a very real disease yeah it... that killed people is that what you're reacting to? For me, it's the latter. So it's it's okay. the invocation of this very real, very serious thing, just so flippantly. Like, if you're going to introduce it. that, I need you to put in a little bit more work to give it the grounding yeah. and, I guess, the care that it deserves. Yeah. Which it certainly wouldn't have happened in 20. 2001. No. You know, in a bro movie. <laughs> I do agree that you have, yes, you should watch a movie in the scope of the time in which it was made like mm -hmm. this is th this movie is a time capsule like if you showed me this i would be like oh that's clearly the early 2000s like it's yes. very obvious yeah. yeah that being said yes i mean like I, I still can't get rid of what the 20 years since of growth i have done as a person with stuff like this and 
the, the industry, I, I mean, again, sometimes, you know, <laughs> not all the time, but like, it's still like, I can't get rid of that sometimes. So I, I know why it was done like this. I know why it wasn't given thought because yeah, that's just not something that was happening in 2001. Mm-hmm. It still doesn't like it. it I, so I get why you could say, oh, I'm giving it a pass for that. Yeah. And on a level, I can see that. I just, because I already, if I liked the movie, I'd be more inclined to give it a pass. But because I don't like the movie, <laughs> I'm less inclined to give it a pass. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. I mean, there are, trust me, this film is offensive. There are many legitimate reasons this film is offensive. And, you know, this is one that offends me less. Than the other things. Than the other things. <laughs> because the other things feel conscious, too. Whereas okay. this one just feels... You know, uh, like nobody's paying attention. Yeah, like we we wrote this in without even really thinking about it because right. we never even considered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know what? That's that's fair because even Joe and I myself have like we we have probably said things on this podcast that have been like, oh, like in hindsight, that's offensive. We weren't thinking about it, and that's the issue. I'm sorry. Maybe not. I'm not going to speak for Joe. For me, <laughs> I have said things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I don't think we need to belabor the point anymore, but particularly from a 2021 perspective, this is the part that for me was like, oh, wow, no. It is a very small part of the film, so I don't think it's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, I can't recommend this film to anybody. As you said, Paul, there are far worse grievous offenses this film is committing that would make me say, <laughs> don't watch it. Particularly, this was a moment where i just said oh this really took me out of everything the film is doing because i don't understand this creative decision but that's a very 2021 mindset Mm -hmm. yeah okay so at this point this is where the pair go for another dinner (laughs) (laughs) this is where we get yet more exposition about where vampires come from and the short and long story of it is that they date back to medieval french knights who pledged their souls to abaddon in exchange for eternal life but, okay, but what I loved, so first of all, the, the, yeah, they made this pact with the demon Abaddon. The sun came up, and they were so ashamed with what they had done, they couldn't stand the sight of each other. Mm-hmm. So they hid in caves until nightfall, and that's why vampires can't be in the sunlight. Yeah. <laughs> so wait, so Paul, you don't read anything queer in some of this stuff? They were so ashamed with, of what they had done? I, I mean, they okay. They went to the closet, the, the, the caves of the closets of the medieval times. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know. The whole thing is so absurd. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're not wrong, sir. I I remembered this scene being like ten minutes long, and it's not. It's like two. It's like a two minute scene. But I think it's so. Again, it's just that air of like you think you know about real vampires. Mm -hmm. We're gonna tell you how it's really like, and it's It's like stupider than you thought. Yeah, it's bad. Oh, you thought it was Romanian? No, it's actually the French. We should blame vampirism on the French. Yes. So yeah. Um and of course there you know there are four forsaken left. One in Africa, one in Eastern Europe because of course yeah. and two in the United States, one of which is Kit. Right. Which is and of course the reason Nick wants to get Kit is because we're doing the whole if you kill the master you will defeat the the lion yeah. kind of deal. Which again throws kind of a wrinkle in the AIDS allegory because it's like, well, that's not how that works. But yeah. <laughs> but my thing is this too. So with Kit, so again, he is essentially the first, I'm sorry, one of the eight first vampires. Do y'all get like a sense of no. difference in strength between him and the other vampires? These vampires have no strength at all. They have to no. rely on car chases half the yeah. time, guns yeah. and car chases. Yeah. No, the only thing that I, I, I felt like they're. 
numbers and their bloodlust is the only strength they had. Nothing else felt superhuman to Mm-mm. me. No. Yeah, they're very sloppy. Yeah, and they're and they're you know dirty vamps. <laughs> dirty <laughs> vamps. Like, yeah, their their cars never working right. Mm-hmm. They're always like looking for cash and you know. Yeah, like it, which again, it doesn't it doesn't gel at all with the idea of if they had strength, if they had superpowers, then mm-hmm. they should be able to get the things that they want. They shouldn't be driving around in a right. shitty ass car begging for change. Especially yeah. if he's like some medieval guy. He's been around for a while. Come on, figure it out. Yeah, like why don't you have it's a like, bank account with like one gold right. coin that's worth eight billion dollars now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Obviously Kid is not a planner. This is what we're learning from this movie. Yeah. You gotta have a plan for the future kids. Mm, well, when we get to the ending, we'll have more of that. Mm. So speaking of plans, Nick has one, which is that they need to get to a Spanish mission that is oh. sort of nearby, <laughs> which we will never get to. Because it's hollowed ground. Yeah. Oh, the, the contrivances with this Spanish mission thing, as we, again, get to the end of the film, mm-hmm. I, I, I literally wrote my notes like, what the fuck? How convenient. <laughs> but also, again, from a screenwriting perspective, you're going to say, okay, well, we have to get here. This is the important thing. That, in my mind, as an audience member, is cueing me to say, okay, the finale will take place in and around a Spanish mission that is hollowed ground. Folks, we never fucking get there. We're just name-dropping more things that don't matter. Well, yeah. they, they, they poltergeist it, where it's like, oh, it's an actual, it's a burial ground from an old Spanish mission that doesn't exist anymore. So technically, we are on the ground of a Spanish mission <laughs> that has been blessed. Jesus Christ. They, I mean, I don't know why they set that up. No, it doesn't make any sense! And then they don't have that as being the goal. Mm -hmm. How do we get the vampires to get to this hollowed ground? That would have been much more tense than like, oh, whoops, we're already here. Mm -hmm. Duh. We have to lure them in. We have to set a trap for them. But also, so, okay, wait, wait, wait. So so it's only the Forsaken. It's like the eight originals that have to be killed on hollowed ground, right? Because we've already, we see other vampires. Teddy did not die on hollowed ground. Right, right, right. It's only the Forsaken. Okay, got it. Yeah, I mean, it's not spelled out, but yeah, you got it. Okay. <laughs> this is where Sean says that he wants to be the decoy because, you know, he, he cares about Megan, who is apparently still a character in this Tip film. girl. He's very concerned about her. So he says, I should be the decoy because I'm not as far along. And Nick says, no, I can't because you're, I need your muscle. I love you too much. Basically. Mm. I also just realized that this movie is basically a super, super shitty version of like a supernatural episode. Oh, yeah. That's actually, yeah, yeah, that's fair. (laughs) And that is bro. That's like legit bro. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like well done bro, where you're not being offensive about it. (laughs) Um, Okay, so they are back on the road. This is when the Forsaken show up and Megan flips out and Sim is shooting up the car and somehow going in front of a truck allows them to get away from them for a long enough period of time that Nick can punch Megan out and Um, put her in the trunk. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm not going to lie, during all these car chases, I kind of zoned out when I was watching it. I think they're really badly shot for the most part. Like they're not exciting to watch. Oh, it's I, as a technical note, if you watch the car scenes, you can tell how slowly they're mm-hmm. driving. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the DP could like jog alongside with the camera. <laughs> it's ridiculous. They have to cut whenever a tree comes because that would, you know, just be drifting by. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, it, it's terrible. Anyway. Yeah. It, it's one of those things where if you start to pay attention to those kinds of things, your enjoyment of this movie will just drop like a stone because you really start to see the wheels coming off it. And not yeah. like literal wheels, like filmmaking wheels. Plus, you can see the camera in the side of the car every single time. Oh, no. <laughs> uh. So, um, naturally, this is when the vamps get waylaid because their car dies again because this is a recurring plot <laughs> oh, point God. in the film. Um, well, and th this scene exists just to, again, it's for more cruelty because, yeah, we get these two cokeheads that pop up because they want to fuck Sam. Mm -hmm. And oops, there's two guys in there. Oops, we didn't know that was coming on. But this is when we get the aforementioned gun fellatio. Yes. yes. And it happens after Kit manhandles a snake, which is not at all Freudian. Yeah. I thought it was. Okay, so then I was like, so are we getting like vampire snakes now? Because the snake drinks his blood. <laughs> <laughs> I got the impression he was just using it to get a little high, but that he would have then killed it. I guess. I don't know. I, mean, I, I thought this was the coolest part of the movie. Not not the whole scene, but just the snakes, because I like snakes a lot. And hmm. so I just thought I, I liked watching him handle this snake, and I thought it was really cool. Hmm. And he actually handled a real snake, apparently, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Kept watching the tongue, like, moving in and out. I mean, it looked really good. Mm -hmm. it, it does. And kudos to yes. them, because this is one of those things where, thank God it wasn't some kind of awful looking fx like cgi yes. snake oh yeah <laughs> but also so what we're saying is that we want some kind of spin-off of this movie where we get a monkey and a snake who are both vampires <laughs> having adventures kind of yeah better okay. movie okay like a like <laughs> i'm sorry i'm thinking of like homeward bound <laughs> it's with vampire, <laughs> with vampire animals snakes <laughs> You know what? Worst things have been pitched. Yeah. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> At Screen Gems. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm going all the way back to the very first shot of this movie, but I literally wrote, hi, Screen Gems, in my notes. Because <laughs> I was like, I know exactly what kind of movie I'm getting, because I, I yep. know Screen Gems output. Mm -hmm. This is bottom of the barrel Screen Gems. Yeah, this, this is the D, the D level tier. <laughs> uh, okay, so yeah, we're, we're getting all this fun whatever nonsense stuff so our heroes meanwhile are getting their car stolen with megan inside we never discover who steals the car it doesn't matter because they recover it moments later but in between this is when nick says oh yeah i stole your wallet i yes i missed so i i wrote in my notes i was like okay so she steals the car i thought she stole the car. i thought she stole the car well, and maybe then, like, she passed did. out again or something okay that would make more sense but then so she drives off she parks and then just did, wanders the desert and then they find right. the car she ran out of gas because that's why they had stopped okay oh my oh god <laughs> i did not pay attention to the end of this movie <laughs> well, i don't think we ever see her actually steal the car no. we just have to assume she's the only one unaccounted for right at this point, so. yeah i yeah. thought she was still in the trunk so that's why i thought somebody else stole the car and then they abandoned it <laughs> when we ran out of gas but yes you're right your your suggestion makes more sense well you know what you could be right we don't know yeah we don't know <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to tell us you know what it was the monkey and the snake yes. <laughs> one of them working the wheel one of them working the pedal oh my god which is which though <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining a snake driving a car like, oh, shit, it's a stick. <laughs> so, yeah. And uh, then we get another car chase. We do indeed. Yes. I wanted to highlight another piece of choice dialogue because, uh, of course, their car won't start now that the vampires are approaching. And Nick yells at Sean to yank the gear shift. But it. Oh, okay. but we don't. <laughs> well, we don't see it. So it just kind of looks. Like it's it's like under the cover action. Like the gear shift is his cock in this scenario. Yeah. Thank you for spelling it out, Trace. I think that my little my my sex radar had been beaten up at this point. Right. Just, 
it's like decided there wasn't going to be anything mm-hmm. going on. So I missed all that. I mean, this is me grasping at straws being like, oh, God, what what else can I fixate on? Because yet another. <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's let's play chicken. OK, sure. I guess we'll we'll do this. Uh, yeah, it, this is where Penn blows himself up because he's a freaking idiot yeah i mean here's the thing so because we're, we're gonna i feel like we're gonna go through this climax pretty fast because it's we have 20 minutes left of this movie still and it's just a bunch of nonsense with yeah. gun shooting but we have to introduce a whole new character also <laughs> oh right <laughs> yeah so anyway uh we end up getting to this gas station slash hallowed ground which is owned and or run by ina who is played by carrie snodgrass and we slumming oh yeah i mean she at least looks like she's trying to make this character convincing. yes she a- apparently she was a last minute replacement and i don't know if it was replacing a previous actress or if it was oh we're gonna add a new character into this movie at the last right minute. i don't know what the, but she all i know is that she was a last minute replacement or addition Interesting. Okay. Hmm. The whole time she was like, I was in a Brian De Palma movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm classier than this shit. Yes. Well, you know, everybody's got to make a mortgage payment. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, this is where we get really pointless and unnecessary backstory for Megan. So we get the whole thing about how she was supposed to get killed by Teddy, but Teddy couldn't do it. And, you know, Kit feels a connection to her, and that's why they've been chasing them all along. And it's like, who could fucking care? Yeah, it's like we're we're winding it down now. These are not, you know, this is not the time. Or, yeah, it's not contributing anything to what we know. And this is when we get Megan's first line of dialogue, and yeah. no one asks her for her name. No, <laughs> we're under attack. <laughs> I want to like the part where Sim basically just barges in and like does everything herself because it kind of looks amazing she gets shot by nick but then she like rolls out the window but then there's this horrible stupid fucking thing where she gets electrocuted because her gun is touching a live wire yes and what the i'm sorry i feel like i'm swearing so much but i'm just like it looked really bad and also made no sense it looked like vintage Star Trek. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. It's like, it's, you know, that electro, the electrical bolts were terrible. And it's like, what? you're laying in the hay. Mm-hmm. You're la- it's an over, over the, uh, the top shot, you know, looking down. She's laying in the hay. You know, there's a, her guns right there because the vampires don't have teeth. They have guns, mm-hmm. you know, and there's yeah. that wire and everything's zapping. It's like, girl, <laughs> yeah. just get out of there. You, you don't need him. Yeah, and it it does something weird to her, so her skin looks like it's flaking off, but it's not. But it doesn't well kill her. Done. It doesn't kill mm-hmm. her. Which again, it's like, why don't you just light her on fire in the scene and be well, done with Sim? So I, I agree with you, but if it had done that, we wouldn't get what is arguably the best kill in the film, which is Sim's death. This is true. Yeah. So Sean does end up blowing her head off with a shotgun. Oh right. Okay. I was trying to. Remember. And that does look really good because again, yeah. practical effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a good. really quick shot, but you full on see like the, from the top, you see the top of her head like just blow apart. Yeah, right. yeah. You look through the the blood veil into the light behind. It's pretty mm-hmm. cool, mm-hmm. actually. I yeah. mean, it's you know brutal, but there you go. Yeah. yeah, it it does feel like one of the kind of better fuck yeah moments of this film, which is sorely lacking from said fuck yeah moments. Right. Yeah. Of course, I can also hear you know someone yell bitch under you know oh, of under course. that moment. Yeah. But yeah. Still, it's a good effect. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we also have Kit breaking in and shouting, come to daddy, boys, at this point. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Nick ends up getting a couple of shots into him, and then Kit just beats up Sean, because Nick has also been shot at this point by Sim, so he's kind of out for the rest of this. So we get them trading a couple of blows, and then Sean begs Kit to kill him, and they stroke each other's faces, and then Kit dangles the car keys into Sean's mouth. And again, I think, you know, the homoeroticism, but it's also like, (laughs) what? No, I mean, again, like, I'm siding with Joe on this one. I I, I can see this uh, this homoeroticism. (laughs) I do agree with you that there is this exchange here that is, could be read that way, but because of nothing really substantive Mm -hmm, that came mm -hmm. before it, it yeah is that then does i mean i feel like it's representative of how starved we were for any kind of queer representation that we would go to a movie like this and just clutch at these straws like oh a a man touched another man's face right and it was suggestive enough that i can be like oh okay well this movie's doing something for me okay so let's look at an uh an alternative reading of this moment okay what if we continue with the whole bro idea mm-hmm. and this is kit making a, a bitch out of yes sean is that his name sean yeah. um, oh sorry. okay i see what you're and saying. you know kind of making him it's just like the fellatio with the gun scene it's yeah. humiliation yeah it's like rapey yeah, it's rapey, it's humiliation. He's st- he is saying, you are now my slave. Yeah, mm-hmm. I own you now. Yeah, I own you now. So, I mean, yes, there is kind of a sexual dominance that could be read into that, but I would not call it homoerotic. I mean, it's not, it's not shared. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more humiliation. It's more... You know, I'm going to make you the thing you despise. Okay. That's interesting, Paul, because I I wonder if you would be more inclined to see some of this stuff as homoerotic if this film was sexier. Because oh, it's absolutely. so aggressively not leaning absolutely. into the sexiness, it's hard to then see any of this as like, oh, okay, well, people want to fuck each other because nobody seems to want to fuck each other in this movie. Not at all. Not at all. Even the straights are, are not fucking they're just tearing each other apart right but yes absolutely i mean if this if these were legitimate vampires that were biting it doesn't have to be the neck but just biting anywhere biting anywhere i mean but vampires are about giving in to yes you know something dangerously sexy or sexily dangerous (laughs) (laughs) however you want to read it yes and there's none of that but yes holy shit i would be all over it if we had like you know hot bisexual vampires pansexual because he's got the snake and the monkey there we go yep but you know well there is two new lackeys (laughs) there you go so yeah that's my take on it Mm -hmm. okay that's fair i can buy it yeah yeah so okay and then we he dies (laughs) like he dies i mean basically yeah like sean manages to pin him to a wall it almost works it doesn't work and then he ends up catching kit in the breaking dawn and he shoots doesn't he run out of gas again he does oh my god it's like the eighth time we've run out of gas in this movie yeah yeah running out of gas is a fucking plot point that happens no less than two to three times in this movie right yep and it was good in romeo and michelle (laughs) 
<laughs> well, it also only happens once in Romeo and Michelle. <laughs> yeah, you you can use it, but you've got to use it judiciously. Yeah. Oh my god, that's my fucking list comes out all right yeah so kid goes up in flames i do love the moment where sean clearly rescues nick and they just leave like they do not give a shit about Ina, and they do not give a shit about megan who have to like find their own way out so hey so i'm gonna move forward to the hospital then because so basically megan is then giving us the recap of what Mm -hmm. happened and what i love is (laughs) Ina who is now you know a character in this film no nope. <laughs> doesn't remember anything she got amnesia after this climax <laughs> yeah also oh. it should be noted we never see Ina again so this no! is delivered by megan but Ina is out of this movie yep <laughs> and again like i said earlier the very top of this episode megan's just going to go stay with her aunt and uncle which means that she is no longer i guess being sought after by the cops for the bloodbath of her family right now <laughs> apparently that's all been put in the rear view mirror so to speak yep because megan doesn't matter because what matters is sean well and i i do love though that this movie doesn't even try to pretend that there's any interest between megan and sean she doesn't say you could come with me and he doesn't have to refuse her she's just like i'm gonna leave and he's like okay bye by the way also have you seen nick because i'm looking for nick <laughs> and this is arguably for me uh, I would say the really the only homoerotic part of this movie. The Dear John letter? The what? what Bert? Oh, no, not the Dear John. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, just this this ending from the hospital oh, okay. scene to the, mm-hmm. the finish of the... I mean, we clearly have no sexual desire between the woman who's now conscious mm-hmm. and our lead who is injured and disinterested too. Yeah. Um, and then we get the Dear John letter. You take it away. Yeah. And then he spends three months looking for this guy. Yes presumably at the at the risk of like his entire career maybe at the risk of missing his sister's wedding but now these two boys are going to go hit the road and they're going to find that other missing vampire okay but here's the thing they're only doing this because nick was not cured when kit died so he's like oops i guess my forsaken's a different one but we get this line which is the drive-off line of the film that closes the film. Mm-hmm. He's been a bad boy, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> As they both put on sunglasses, like it's fucking David Caruso. <laughs> yep. Yeah! So the three months of driving around looking for this fellow to pick up this hitchhiker. No money. No money. Uh, he's got that E.T. money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that is what I think is really the only... They have the only relationship where it seems like they care about each other. Right. You know, nobody else seems to care about each other. But no. uh, um, this one, that is the one place where I say, okay, so maybe the homoerotic part starts here, and then they go off and have a nice vampire killing. And, you know, episode two, you know, the sequel, that's where we can actually get into, you know, something that... They clearly thought they were gonna get a sequel or at least they had hopes right. for one because that's what yeah this movie is a, this is a sequel setup this is all this yeah. is oh, totally sequel i it never even occurred to me because i so what? aggressively would never watch it i just took it to be like okay cool bye boys have fun no it's i i'm sure that they were setting it up for a sequel no, no were... it, but that's something too right like I, I don't think i've ever sat in a movie with a like a, a blatant sequel tease like this one and thought to myself well i don't want to watch that <laughs> yeah, so often you're just like oh i really hope they make that movie or mm, they'd have to make it differently but i guess i'd be interested in this case you're just like no please just bring on the new metal i'm done no nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> go watch dante's cove 
The, yep. They, they, there's better. some homoeroticism. Oh, there's a bit more than homoeroticism in that one. Yeah, there's a bit more. <laughs> I was a writer on that show, by the way. I saw. Oh, no. Yes. I saw. You wrote two episodes, right? I did for uh, season three. Mm. Yeah, and I was the story editor for season four that never was aborted. No. But, uh, yeah, whatever. Uh, <laughs> there's something that could be brought back with, like, a guaranteed audience. Yeah, that would be... I mean... It wanted to be True Blood. It just didn't have the budget. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, with with a lot of queer properties like that, that I feel like that's unfortunately the case a lot of the time. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, um, this movie had a budget of $15 million. So final thoughts on The Forsaken, everybody, before we wrap up the show. I thought that it was, um, for $15 million, it was a very cheap looking film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It looked like they spent most of their money on pyrotechnics. Yes. A couple of things went boom. Yeah, some stuff went boom, and they built stuff to go boom. And uh, the rest of it was, uh, you know, felt like they were just trying to ch- chase the light. <laughs> really, it just kind of felt slapped together. I mean, I, I'm not mentioning all the things, you know, story-wise that were terrible, because we've done that. But, you know, while I was watching it, I was like, Jesus, they, they have money, but they don't have money. They don't have it in the right places. Right. So. Yeah, I'll coast on everything you said and everything we've said in this episode. I just, I, I, I think it's also just a boring movie. Like, oh, I, so boring. And 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 that's a big. That's for me at least a big issue. Like, I can take shitty. I can take poorly made. I can take cheap looking. I can take even again mildly offensive. But when it's also boring on top of that, that's yeah. when you're really like tra- trying my patience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're so right. Yeah, and I, I completely agree with both of you. I just feel like at every at every junction, bad creative decisions are being made, mostly behind the camera and mostly on the page. And it just really doesn't leave these actors much to do. And even when they do have something to do, it's so brief and fleeting. And you just think, oh, wow, okay, you're being so serious, but also you're not saying or doing anything interesting. And that really is a kiss of death with this movie. Like, yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm not sad that we covered it because I actually think this was a fun episode and I think we had some good conversation, but like, I never want to watch this movie again. No, (laughs) no. And we don't recommend you as our audience to watch it either. Yes. Now that you've already listened to us talk about it for two hours. Yeah. You don't need it. (laughs) It's fine. (sighs) Well, all right. So yeah, boo on the forsaken, bad movie, fun Mm -hmm. conversation. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, Paul, let everyone know where they can find you on social media and I don't know, give an update on what you're doing. I can, as you know, only give you sort of an update, mm-hmm. but uh, okay, firstly, social media, I'm on Instagram. Uh, my name, my handle is doghead.dog, dog, one word, and I just finished a couple of days ago uh, production designing season three of Eli Roth's History of Horror for AMC Shutter. Nice. I think it's combined now, AMC and Shutter get it at the same yeah. time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And super fun. We had some some great guests this year, and... Uh, I'm already hearing whispers about season four. Who knows? And let's see. I recently uh, was a guest on a queer cinema documentary that Shudder's doing. Oh, yay. Brian Fuller is behind it. And uh, yeah, I have hopes for that coming out this year as well. I don't know where they are in production. but uh, And then as far as my writing and directing going, I cannot talk about things until they're actually announced. But... Uh, I have very uh, high hopes that I will be directing a film this year. Ooh, um, fantastic. So, yeah, so working with uh, a producer on that. Um, 
So yeah, we'll see. Oh, and we'll have queer content, of course. <laughs> of course. <laughs> if it didn't, we'd come and track you down. Yeah. Uh, well, that no, that's. I mean, again, thank you. All for, thank you so much for that update. I, I know that when it comes to again tbd development things you can't really you can't and it's so maddening <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and it's actually it's pretty lucky that you can't because believe me at the beginning of 2020 i was attached to some really sweet stuff and then covid hit yeah. it's like uh, oh well fuck guess who also isn't attached you know it's like all these other huge directors yeah joe dante also has nothing to do so <laughs> yay <laughs> i'm in the same yeah. boat as joe dante <laughs> yeah Uh, Well, the world's slowly, slowly getting back to, again, whatever normal is. Right. Yes. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to this, so I'm excited to see what what developments happen. Yes, me too. Me too. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Horror Queers, and join our Facebook Horror Queers group to hang out with other listeners and chat episodes, or I guess just join it, because some people don't know that it's a podcast group, so they're just there for queer horror stuff, which is great. Sure. Also, find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we have covered, uh, as well as our Patreon audio commentaries, episodes, and Micro Queers horror shorts. We've also got a YouTube channel for those microqueers episodes, so you can go watch us talk about them if you'd like. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. And finally, if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. Video Game Month is coming to a close after Mortal Kombat this past week, so we're moving into May, which, uh, well, I guess we're taking on a Ghosts and Zombies theme, Joe. (laughs) We'll have episodes on Simon Barrett's new film Seance and Zack Snyder's new film Army of the Dead, and to pay... Here with each one, we'll have an episode on Mike Flanagan's Ouija Origin of Evil and an audio commentary on Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake. I'm excited. I am too. I, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I love the movies I've seen and I'm looking forward to the new films as well. Mm-hmm. I love the Ouija sequel. It's so good. <laughs> and I've never seen it, so I'm going in cold. Oh, it's good. I didn't see the first film. It's and the, the only thing... That, that I was disappointed in the sequel is that they had to tie it into yeah, a right. film that I hadn't seen, and it was a little awkward, but it was so good otherwise. I think it works because it's a prequel. I mean, I, I get yeah. what you're saying, but yeah, the end of it is very much like, oh, right, we have to like connect <laughs> it to the first movie. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's super good. And I, I mean, I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan, so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Joe, mm-hmm. uh, I actually don't, I didn't look at the schedule. What are it. we talking about next week? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is an interesting slightly off-brand pick for us, Trace. We are traveling all the way back to 1990, and we're going to be covering a film called Mirror, Mirror by Marina Sargenti. And folks, this is not Mirror, Mirror, the Tarson Singh, Julia Roberts movie, so please pay attention. (laughs) Uh, But this one is compared often to The Craft, and we've got a female director, which we haven't covered in a little bit. So magic and teenage girls it's a first time watch for me so i have no idea what to expect yep same with me so we are definitely going in blind on this one but yeah uh folks mirror mirror from 1990 next week all right well um until then uh, i think we can well i'm sorry paul thank you for joining us (laughs) oh thank you so much for having me our pleasure and we can cross out god the forsaken (laughs) indeed let us never speak of it again and we'll cross out horror queers you've made it to the end of another bloody disgusting podcast 
Congratulations. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, Nightmare on Film Street, and more.